For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson with our latest readout video from our Wednesday Wake Up Newsletter and a cheery hola a nuestras amigas y nuestros amigos en Peru. Although, frankly, I'm a bit more in the Halloween than the Christmas spirit at the moment. Because just as the ghouls were out in force recently, blaming British Columbia floods on climate change, despite the contrary evidence and the IPCC's reluctance to make such claims, they also rushed to blame this week's devastating Ohio tornadoes on global warming including President Biden, who said, quote, The fact is that we all know everything is more intense when the climate is warming. Everything. And obviously, it has some impact here, end quote. Also NBC, which Apino reported that, quote, Meteorologists have said climate change most likely made the tornado outbreak worse, end quote. So, never mind that tornadoes need unusually cold air to get going, that the IPCC has only low confidence in any trends in total U.S. tornado events, and that the long-term trend in severe tornadoes is downward, not upward, as is the trend in tornado damage once you correct for things like population growth, economic growth, and inflation. So, in light of all that, why blame climate change? Because everything bad is climate. Except recent flooding in Hawaii, accompanied by heavy rain, blizzard warnings, and a foot of snow in those tropical mountains, which the New York Times assures us, quote, it's not that weird, end quote. Because, you see, cold is just weather. Everything else, the climate bogeyman is coming for you. Despite which, we have to mention, courtesy of Paul Homewood, that the severe flooding of November 1951 hit the Rhone and Po Valleys as well as England. And we have to mention it in case somebody told you that flooding was invented by carbon dioxide around the year 2000 or something of that sort. Which also means we have to mention a Tony Heller video about how the ghouls announced permanent drought in Australia back in 2008, and it promptly rained cats and dogs, or possibly wallabies and salties, so hard there was a measurable decline in sea level. The ghouls weren't deterred. They announced permanent drought again in 2020, and the floods promptly returned. So Michael Mann moaned, quote, catastrophic fires and devastating floods are part of Australia's harsh new climate reality, end quote, and then raved about, quote, a dystopian future that alternates between Mad Max and Waterworld, end quote. In response, and we dare repeat it despite a mixed reaction to our rhyme with the ancient alarmist, Heller quoted a poem about, quote, a land of sweeping plains, of ragged mountain ranges, of droughts and flooding rains, end quote. Specifically, Dorothy McKellar's My Country, which celebrated Australia's, quote, beauty and her terror, end quote, in 1908. In equally cringeworthy prose, a new report warns that climate change could cost Ontario billions of dollars, as if such sums were large to government. According to the Star, quote, the Financial Accountability Office predicted extreme rainfall, heat, and quickening freeze-thaw cycles will ravage public buildings like hospitals, schools, public transit systems, universities, colleges, and government offices, end quote. Ravage? Yikes. Better throw money at it, right? Or maybe not, because these ravaging costs are just peanuts to the most indebted subnational jurisdiction in the world. Look, the Ontario government spends around $186 billion a year and rising fast. It borrows like there was no tomorrow, even though it's already paying $13 billion a year in interest alone. And now we're meant to panic because it owns a quarter of a trillion dollars worth of physical assets that would cost about $10 billion a year to maintain properly, if they were. But due to climate breakdown, that number could rise by nearly $6 billion. But not $6 billion a year, $6 billion total by 2030. The star quotes the Ontario Green leader who requested the report that, quote, it is abundantly clear the cost of inaction, 
far exceeds the cost of climate action, end quote. Bosh. Ontarians are already paying well over a billion dollars a year in federal carbon taxes alone, with no end in sight, and now they're meant to give up gasoline and natural gas more or less entirely, suffering horrible deprivation in order to save chump change on maintenance. Who writes this stuff? Including that business about ravaged. I mean, London in the Blitz was ravaged, maybe. Your village after Genghis Khan dropped by, sure. Banda Aka after the 2004 tsunami? Yes, but not the John P. Robarts Research Library if the temperature goes up another 0.3 degrees Celsius. On another sour note, we note the sad tale of a spider scientist whose career unraveled because he uh, faked his data in a series of peer-reviewed papers. Which might seem to have little to do with climate, unless you believe those stories about global warming causing the Arctic to become one big writhing mass of arachnids. And we take no pleasure in his personal disaster. But it is important to note the unwholesome pressures in academia generally to publish something dramatic or perish, and the specific fact that peer review isn't a silver bullet here or anywhere. Indeed, as currently structured, it's dangerously prone to capture, either by power review or by zealots who only let one viewpoint in. In fact, the replication crisis in scholarly publishing has been an issue for nearly two decades now, since the publication of John P. Ioannidis' provocative 2005 paper, quote, why most published research findings are false, end quote. So, can we at least debate climate on its merits instead of waving the peer-reviewed juju and chanting, not a climate scientist? Thanks. Thanks also for your support, including, I want to mention, the people who give via e-transfer and then don't get thanked because we don't get their contact information, not because we're not grateful. And I also want to mention, because periodically someone will ask for the sources of the material we reference in these readouts, that you can find the links over on the blog for these videos. And for all the other videos, you can find them in the transcripts that appear beneath them on our page, though not on YouTube which seems to be moving more aggressively to demonetize us. So please send cash, pending those big oil company checks our critics keep ranting about. Now back to the readout and the sad phenomenon of brownwashing. You see, climate activists often berate companies and even governments for greenwashing. That is, for pretending to move boldly toward net zero, but it's all PR. However, a deeper problem, Alex Epstein suggests, may be that very woke outfits like Starbucks are completely sincere in the promises they make, only to find out afterward that it actually can't be done. Just like politicians, including those in Japan who are busily building coal plants because they've got to get energy somewhere, and then are hoping to convert them to burn ammonia or hydrogen or some such pie in the sky. These people are neither cynical nor lazy. They're just really, really deluded about what's possible as are the activists. And speaking of that, NBC crows that, quote, Biden signs executive order to make U.S. government carbon neutral by 2050. The president aims to leverage the federal government's massive buying power to jumpstart the market for clean energy, electric vehicles, and more efficient buildings, end quote. Which seems a backdoor admission that the market is still in sorry need of a lot of juice after two decades of hype. And also a mistaken assumption that the U.S. government, with its $2.7 trillion deficits, has so much extra money that it might as well slosh tons of it around in this direction. Again, Biden really means it. But it's just not true that all you need is love for the planet or for your fellows. You need a practical plan, and this ain't it. NBC adds that, quote, the order puts the U.S. in line with global targets to reach net zero carbon emissions by the middle of the century, which scientists say is needed to reduce the effects of climate change, end quote. But no part of that sentence is true. 
even the totally vague thing about reduce the effects. By how much? By when? But again, it doesn't mean the report is faking it or deliberately peddling opinion as hard news. It means they have no idea what they're talking about. A surprisingly common problem, including about the real environmental cost of those supposedly clean, green electric cars. You know, there's a venerable journalistic maxim that if your mother says she loves you, check it out. But once again, when it comes to climate, the old rules don't apply until the gods of the copybook headings return. Hence, in a glowing review of a horrible movie, Noah Berlatsky squirms at the embarrassment comedy of something called Silent Night, in which people facing climate annihilation remain repressed, bourgeois, selfish, squabbling fools. Well, that's original, mocking social convention while following it. Including the convention where you can say just anything about climate, provided it insults those over 30 as cruel and reactionary, and people won't object. For instance, Berlatsky's explanation that, quote, Silent Night is set in a near future in which the Earth has experienced massive environmental collapse. Poisonous storms sweep the landscape, and everyone caught in them dies in hideous agony. The British government has issued euthanasia pills to almost everyone so they can die with less pain, end quote. Well, apparently not the homeless. And to think we once wasted time watching Casablanca. Whereas it's not a waste of time to visit the nearest spot to Tasmania on the Australian mainland, that's Wilson's Promontory on the southern tip of Victoria. Because its lighthouse sits out on a peninsula far removed from urban heat islands or any other influences that distort temperature records like poisonous storms depopulating the planet of the sort that we've so often not seen when it was warmer than today. And that makes the promontory a perfect place to see a century of climate heating in the following graph showing 1920 and 2020. Do you see it yet? It's also not a waste of time to look at the new IPCC report for its take on so-called atmospheric blocking, where a weather system, and it can be just about anything, hot or cold, wet or dry, gets stuck and intensifies. So obviously climate change causes more of it, right? Except section 8.3.2.7 of AR6 says, quote, currently no consensus exists on observed trends in blocking during 1979 to 2013, end quote. Dang, what happened to scientists say? Well, this did from CO2Science.org about a journal article that looked at the urban heat island in Manchester, United Kingdom, to try to see how much it tends to distort temperature records and create the mirage of a heating trend. It looks like about 0.021 Celsius per year there, which might seem very small, but then so does the total supposed man-made warming since 1850, just over a degree. If that data is distorted by 0.2 degrees per decade, that's uh, 2 degrees Celsius a century. Awkward. As it's also awkward to ask you to forward this newsletter to friends and colleagues and encourage them to subscribe to it, to our YouTube, Rumble, and Twitter feeds, to like us on Facebook, listen to the podcasts, and be our Santa. Uh, 